The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. In celebration of their newly launched WCI newsstand platform, Wing Chun Illustrated is giving listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast a free one-month all-access subscription. Go to wcinewsstand.com and click the register button in the upper right corner. Use voucher code FREE4U. That's F-R-E-E, the number four, and the letter U, all caps. Don't forget to activate your account by clicking the link in the welcome message. The dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody and welcome to an extra special episode of Dudes of Kung Fu. This time it's just me, Alex Richter, the Kung Fu genius, minus my trusty cohort Big Sean Madigan because I'm doing my yearly trip to Florida and Sean is sick today so I decided to do a kind of a special episode where it's not just me, I have a guest who I'll introduce in a little bit. Um, but just to make sure that uh, you guys get regular episodes because you guys get super cranky when we don't pull out stuff on a regular basis. I don't want to make sure that that doesn't happen. By the way, if you hear some wonderful sounding sounds in the background, that's because I am outside near a pool. So there's rushing water. It's very calming. Hope this episode of Dudes is very zen-like and puts you in a meditative state. Of course, my soothing voice usually does that anyway. Um, but I uh, hope to give you guys a good episode today and uh, do something a little bit different. So um, before we get started, uh, just wanted to let you guys know, if you had not seen it yet, um, we're thinking about doing a live podcast, um, obviously somewhere in the New York City area, um, most likely in the new year, maybe around January, maybe February. And we're looking for venues, and obviously we're looking for people who are interested in coming along. If you're interested or you might have some suggestions as to where we might want to do it or where you think a good place uh, for a Dudes of Kung Fu live podcast would be, um, would love for you guys to go to the Facebook page for Dudes of Kung Fu and go ahead and comment. You'll see the post up there um, where we're looking for some ideas. Um, We've done a couple of live podcasts before. People really like it. It's great to see the fans. And of course, uh, if you guys are there, you can throw stuff at us for us to talk about. Uh, no topic uh, is uh, too risque for for the dudes of kung fu. Um, another uh, uh, couple things for you guys. Uh, if you're interested, especially if you guys are in the WT or Langting lineage, I'm doing uh, my uh, winter intensive known as the Winter ITC. Uh, it's January 3rd to January 5th, which is the first weekend in the new year. Um, obviously, this is mostly interesting for people who are from the WT lineage or Langting line. Uh, we have a couple slots available for people who are not uh, part of my school or part of my association. And if you're interested in coming to that, again, that's January 3rd to the 5th in 2020. Uh, it's taught by yours truly. Uh, you can get a, a, a spot by going to wt-athletics.com. Again, that's wt-athletics.com. And for the three of our podcast fans who do not yet have a copy of my brand new Chumkyu book, Seek the Bridge, we literally have six books left <laughs> before the uh, second edition is coming in. So if you want an original first edition printing of the book, we have like six of them left. And that is also available at wt-athletics.com. And uh, um, yeah, so hope, hope you guys can snatch that up. And then finally, the last shameless self-promoting thing I will do today, at least for the next 10 minutes, um, is to let you guys know that we are doing another Hong Kong tour and uh, training trip. Uh, it's This is open for any of the fans of Dudes of Kung Fu. We will have a link available on the website very shortly. But in the meantime, if anyone has interest, uh, we suggest that you email info at cdwt.com. Again, that's info at cdwt.com to get your name on a waiting list. It's going to be in August, which if you guys don't like hot or humid weather, uh, this might not be the best trip for you to go. But if you're like me and you like the the warm weather and and uh, you have no problem with it, this is really great. We'll have a chance to go to the beach and enjoy really hot weather while training in Hong Kong. The trip is going to be twofold. There'll be some training opportunities with me where I'll be teaching uh, some Wing Chun classes and little mini Wing Chun seminars throughout the week, as well as leading a guided tour of Hong Kong, which includes both Wing Chun related uh, 
you know, places of interest, Grandmaster Yip Man's grave, the Wing Chun Athletic Association, other places where um, you know Bruce Lee and other people had either famous fights or other places of notes. And um, there may also be some time to do some movie tourism, some, you know, places that were in famous films and, you know, depending on uh, whether I can link up the schedules, perhaps even meeting up with some, you know, people who had once maybe acted in a film or two back in the day. So anyway, it's um, in my opinion and also the opinion of people who've been with me to Hong Kong before that if you have never gone and you won't, always wanted to go to Hong Kong, uh, you can do no better than to come and have a guided tour by the Kung Fu genius himself because I can show you stuff in Hong Kong that even the locals don't even know about. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and email uh, my headquarters at info at citywt.com and get yourself on a waiting list and we're going to have information about registration and payment for that very shortly. So I'm um, looking forward to that. So anyway, without any further ado, uh, today's podcast is not just me talking into a mic by myself. I actually have here, since I'm in Florida, one of the dudes of Kung Fu's mega fans. He's uh, one of the biggest supporters of us and one of the first supporters on Patreon. He's been around for a while. He's always kind of the first to comment, first to repost and and, uh, the new episodes when they come up. And so uh, uh, very happy to have a chance to finally meet him. Uh, I have Topher Maori here. Uh, go ahead and say hello. Hi, everybody. I hope you're having a great day. <laughs> so uh, super excited to have him here. Um, it's, you know, rare to meet. We, we, have a, we have a couple, like, really big supporters of the podcast. Um, they are, uh, while we have lots of great supporters in the New York area, some of our biggest supporters come from outside of the New York area, and it's cool to finally meet uh, Topher. So Topher is not just a Dudes of Kung Fu mega fan, but he's also a Wing Chun practitioner himself. So as I take it, you learn Wing Chun here in Florida. Maybe you can tell the people a little bit about who you learned from, how long you've been doing Wing Chun and all that. Sure. Um, I've been, uh, I learned here, I'm from Sarasota, Florida. Uh, I learned from Dr. Rene Ng. Um, we are part of the Ho Kam Ming family of Wing Chun. Um, our home base is out of Macau, China. So right across the harbor from Hong Kong. Uh, I'd like to give a big shout out to Macau, Ho Kam Ming, Wing Chun, uh, and all my Kung Fu family there, here in the US and Canada and all over the world. Um, it's nice to be here on the dudes. <laughs> uh, I, um, I've been doing Wing Chun a little over six years, six-ish years now. Uh, I have a long history of Chinese martial arts. I've been doing them since I was a teenager. Um, I started in Northern Long Fist doing a very rigid northern style and eventually after some wear and tear moved into Wing Chun right and so now uh, I'm a full-time Wing Chun practitioner so that's awesome and uh, yeah it's super super cool to have you here we actually had a chance to uh, go out for lunch and talk a little bit and exchange some stories and uh, it's interesting um, you know uh, whether you're learning Wing Chun in New York or you're learning Wing Chun in Hong Kong or Europe or whatever like a lot of the perennial themes always come up like the quality, you know, having good quality training partners and good quality instruction and the general state of the Wing Chun world. Um, these are things that I think um, Wing Chun practitioners from all over the world kind of have in common. These are uh, kind of the same issues. By the way, are you excited for IP Man 4? Yeah. <laughs> yep. There was a little bit of pause there. I, 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 heard, I detected a little bit of hesitancy in so, it. So, um... Uh, fun fact about me, um, my college degree is actually in history. I'm a historian by trade. Wow. So whenever I watch these movies, I have to take it with a huge grain of salt sure. because they are just factually inaccurate. Right, right. Um, So the Wing Chun practitioner in me is like, great, it's advertising our style. We're going to get students out of this. Yes. The historian in me is crying on the inside because he goes, it's it's just not that hard to get these facts right. Why can't we get the facts right? Right, right. <laughs> and I mean, uh, I've heard it before. I mean, it's like, you, you know, you, you don't really want to mess with the success formula, the, the IP man. And by the way, if you're new to the podcast, yes, I know it's Yip Man. But the problem with this erroneous IP man spelling is that people who are not familiar with Wing Chun literally think the movies are called IP Man. And I can't even tell you how many times people have walked into my school and said like, oh, is that IP man there on the wall? And then, uh, and I've even had people say like, yeah, you're, you're, the, the, the IP man movie is, is about some guy named Yip Man. 
and they somehow not put two and two together. So um, I kind of like to refer to the actual Grandmaster of our style as Yip Man or Grandmaster Yip Man and the, this fictitious guy played by Donnie Yen and other actors as IP Man so as to keep those things kind of separated like church and state. Um, I mean, it, the movies are successful. They're, you know, they, they kind of really catapulted Donnie Yen's career in this kind of later stage. And um, people really like them. They're really big in China. They're really big all over the place. And no one is accusing these things of being biopics or no one is accusing of these things of being docudramas or anything like that. But it does, uh, the thing that always tends to bug me a little bit is that um, the real life story of, of Grandmaster Yip Man is very compelling. And, and while they, these things don't have to be 100% factually accurate, there are a lot of things that they could have taken from Yip Man's actual life and his life story, which in my opinion would be far better than kind of turning him into like some pseudo uh, superhero ass kicker. Um, and, and that's what I always find disappointing. Um, have, are you up to date on all the Yip Man movies? Yes, I am. Um, I'm up to date. I've seen all of them. Which one is your favorite of all of them, including the ones outside of the Donnie Yen ones? Like my my probably my favorite one to watch is The Grandmaster by the famed director Wong Kar Wai. Yeah. Um, artistically, it's the most unique. Yes. And it has no sense of trying to live up to something he literally just wanted to tell a very unique very artistic story that happened to have a yip man person at the center right, of it right right yeah the uh, the grandmaster is is a very typical wong kar wai film wong kar wai is one of the very few art house directors to still make films in hong kong art house films don't fare very well in in hong kong in general and um so he's kind of one of the very few and kind of famously takes a very long time to make his films yeah, and the the Grandmaster is like you know it, it's it's kind of all over the place in terms of it's lining up with the real story, but it is visually very nice. My favorite one is Yip Man: The Final Fight, uh, not because uh, Anthony Wong is not the the best martial arts guy to portray Yip Man, but the story is actually the closest. And even Sing Lam, the the producer, told me that of all the films, that that one is his favorite. Um, yeah, so, but you can kind of see the thread in at least the Donnie Yen series. The first one I thought was a pretty solid movie, even though it didn't really have much to do with the real story. Second one starts to get a little bit more sensationalistic. The third one, we have Mike Tyson and, and all sorts of crazy stuff. And now the trailer for the fourth one, and if, you know, and I'm not, and again, if, if you are a Wing Chun or a Donnie Yen fan or whatever, I highly encourage you to go see it. It re is released stateside on December 25th, and you said in Hong Kong it was the 20th, uh, 20th. Right? Yeah, 20th, yep. right? So uh, by all means, go ahead and support it. Uh, one of my Kung Fu uncles, Steve Chris Collins, is in the movie, so awesome. The funny thing is uh, my Kung Fu uncle, Steve Chris Collins, is a super legit Wing Chun Sifu, and he's also a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and oddly enough, plays a karate bad guy in the Yip Man movie, and he's probably the one with the best actual Wing Chun of everyone in the cast, um, so it's kind of one of those small ironies of, of casting and so on. Um, that was and, the first thing I thought when I saw that. I was like, wait, that's Chris Collins. Yep, yep. <laughs> he knows Wing Chun. <laughs> yes, and so I'm yeah, super excited for the movie to come out. I'm also very happy uh, to see, uh, see for Chris Collins' like career taking off and him getting really great jobs in Hong Kong, which is not really an easy thing to do. Hong Kong film industry is notoriously difficult to kind of crack and to kind of stay in there with any kind of longevity. Um, but uh, all those things notwithstanding, the story does kind of seem to be a little bit like I discussed with Sean in the last podcast, where the series kind of jumps the shark. Um, Yip Man it comes to the States, which of course never happened of course conveniently meets Bruce Lee over there and in what I saw in the trailer he's like fighting against the marines or the army or something like that there's a wooden dummy that's on fire I think the only thing that was missing was like the eye of Sauron and maybe a lightsaber uh, are we talking about Yip Man 4 or Once Upon a Time in China in America yes it's, fun <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you picked that up because it seems like with every you know um, every kind of kung fu movie franchise of which they're not that many they're usually either about wong fei hong or well they're usually kind of always about wong fei hong at some point they go what can we do with this character that hasn't been done yet ah let's send them to america right and yeah you're right oh, i think it's 
Once Upon a Time in China Part 6. Part 6. That is the Once Upon a Time in China in America. And, um, and yeah, of course, Wong Fei-hung never came to the States, just as Yip Man never came to the States. But this seems to be kind of the logical conclusion. And I also think, if I'm not mistaken, that was also the last time... Jet Li played that role in that franchise, or was it not? Did he do it again? Um, not the last time he played, but I think for the Once I Upon a Time, I think for it's the, the last Once Upon a Time, because after that he did, was it Last Hero in China? Oh yes, right that's right. That. With but the, I don't with think the chicken costume. Yeah, but I don't think that's part of the Once no. Upon a Time series. Right, right. It, it's out of, canon, of, out of canon, as the Star Wars people would would, would <laughs> like to say. Yeah, I- I- interesting um, that this kind of you know, what are we going to do with this character? We are going to send him. You know, to the states. I was thinking about it last night. My 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 dad found this TV series called The Blacklist with James Spader, which is very popular. He had never watched it. And he found it on Netflix, and it's when my dad is retired. He lives here in Florida. So what did my dad start doing? He started binge watching the hell out of the series. And I'm watching. You know, I watch a few episodes with him. It's really well written series. Lots of great action. But I'm thinking about it, and I'm going like, you know, they have like FBI and black ops and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking like. Do people who work for the FBI when they watch TV shows like this feel the same way that I feel when I watch a TV sh- a movie about Yip Man, right? It's like cuz like think about it, if we watch something that has FBI, you know, officers in it, we don't think twice about like is that actual procedure? Would they actually do it this way? We just watch it and soak it in. And I have a feeling that that's how 99.9% of the audience watches the IP men movies they just kind of soak it in and we're like kind of like the FBI agents going wait that's not procedure that's not procedure when we watch the IP men movies um uh, so you, we'll, we'll do we'll do a constructive exercise of all the yip men movies what do you like about the yip men movies if anything <laughs> so um, it's like say something nice say about the yip man movies um you know what at the end of the day they are entertaining um, they bring a, a an, they bring attention to our precious martial art that we practice, right? Um, which otherwise may have gone into relative obscurity the further we get away from Bruce Lee. Sure. Uh, so they have, in a lot of ways, rekindled interest in it, and yes. they are they are entertaining. And out of all of them, they do many of them do succeed in some areas of bringing some very great portrayals of Wing Chun to the screen, right? Um, I I really do enjoy that part of it. The historical parts aside, sure. Um, I know you were relatively critical of Master Z. Yes, I was. Um, I'm not as critical of it. I think a fictitious Wing Chun character is the way to go. Yes, sure. Because um, because you're you you're not restricted by people saying, well, that didn't happen or exactly. whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they are making a sequel to that, by the way. Yeah, another one, right? <laughs> another yeah. one. Yes. Yeah. Um, my, my my issue with Master Z, I think, is so in Yip Man. So the actor Max Chang was actually one of my favorite parts of Yip Man Three, uh, which I found almost unwatchable. Like uh, most of Yip Man Three, I'm kind of looking away from the screen, going, "Oh God." The interesting thing is that Max Chang's character in Yip Man Three, to my eye, had better looking Wing Chun than Donnie Yen's character in Yip Man Three. I thought his Wing Chun looked a little more orthodox. I would agree to that. And and so when Master Z came out, I was like, cool. At least we could see more orthodox-looking Wing Chun. And then, like, his character bizarrely decided not to do Wing Chun because he was defeated by Yip Man. But yet, somehow, he still has enough generic martial arts skills to kick everyone's ass. And then only uses Wing Chun at the end. And so I, I thought it was a bit of a um, lost opportunity to showcase that, you know, Max Jiang, who is for all intents and purposes, not a Wing Chun practitioner, has really solid-looking Wing Chun when he's got a good choreographer behind him. Well, and maybe maybe this sequel rectifies some of that. And now that he's kind of at the end of the film, yeah. I can I don't have to be the number one Wing Chun person. I right. can be the number two Wing Chun person. Yeah, you're right. Now that if there's a sequel, he has unburdened himself of this thing of not using his Wing Chun anymore. So, um, yeah. Of course, uh, part of my issue of... of that was the film is in Hong Kong and it's sh- like shot in Mandarin, and I know that there's some Cantonese dub for it. But when I saw it, that all the actors were actually speaking Mandarin, uh, including like there's a scene at the beginning with Yunhua. I don't know if uh, you know Yunhua is like the uh, the landlord from Kung Fu Hustle, and he's an yep. old s- stunt man, 
and he's sitting there and his character is actually speaking in Mandarin and it's supposed to be in Hong Kong and that kind of stuff drives me nuts because I'm like if it's in Hong Kong I want to see it in Cantonese if it's a film that takes place in mainland China I want to see it in Mandarin uh, if it's a film that takes place in Berlin I want to see it in German with subtitles and so I just find that like this kind of will Mandarinize the entire world is it's kind of a bit of an eye roll for me um, so what did you think could be improved in the Yip Man films? In the um, I, IP Men films. I, IP Men films. Yes. Um, it would be, it would be nice if we could incorporate more actual Wing Chun people into these movies. Um, while I have great respect for choreographers like Yoon Moon Ping, who has given us so many phenomenal films, um, it would be nice to have m more people who are actually involved in the Wing Chun consulted brought in um, because you, the thing is Wing Chun is a very unique and interesting fighting style and it can be choreographed done the choreography can be done well I mean the, the, the best Wing Chun movie ever made is Prodigal Son yes and that is proof beyond doubt that it can be done right if left to the right people yes so let's get those right people involved yeah I think you're right um, Wing Chun obviously because the movements are very small um, you need to choreograph it and you need to shoot it in a certain way so people can see it. Because just kind of as is, Wing Chun has two problems. The movements are kind of short and small, so they don't really show up on the big screen. And it can look a bit repetitive. You know, whereas when you look at general martial arts choreography, what, what makes a lot of choreography look great is the vast vocabulary of movements you can throw into a fight scene. Well, Wing Chun people are going to kind of keep their hands in front of their chest, everything somewhat linear. So, yes. It goes to one of my favorite lines in The Grandmaster. Tom Bong Fu, you're a three-trick pony. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Lao Kai Young says that to Tony Leung's character. Which I thought, and then his answer was something like, well, that's all I need or something to defeat you or whatever, which, yes. Um, but yeah, you're right. You, you need, like, you need a combination of good choreographers. And for those of you who have not seen The Prodigal Son, I highly recommend watching it. It's on Amazon Prime, although it's, I think it's the English dubbed version, which is not too terrible. Um... It, obviously there's some creative license taken with some of the choreography that some of the Wing Chun practitioners do throw occasional high kick or spin kick or kind of non-Wing Chun swing punch or something like that but on the whole it, it really captures the feel and the essence of Wing Chun and I, I think that um, Prodigal Son and probably the first Yip Man movie kind of showcase some of the best Wing Chun ever kind of shown on film and everything else is like there's some Wing Chun-esque stuff and there's some Wing Chun-like stuff, but um, it doesn't, the, like, those two films for me are kind of like, th those are the two kind of best Wing Chun films. And Prodigal Son gives us probably one of the best sequences from Sammo Hung, is the, the calligraphy sequence. Yes, it's yes. It's such a great, great Pro sequence. Prodigal Son, I think, is, is great for so many reasons. One, the choreography is absolutely fantastic. Um, you're also looking at the stars that are in the film, in my opinion, are kind of at the peak of their physical prowess uh i mean you're looking at sammo hung he's peak sammo hung peak lam ching ying peak yun biu peak frankie chan everyone in that movie is kind of like they're at the height of their abilities and also most of them by 1982 which is i think when prodigal son was made had about 10 years of working in the hong kong film industry so none of them were noobs they had the experience they had the skill and you kind of see the culmination of all of those things in one film which is really really fantastic um Speaking of, you know, getting the right people in the movies, and I'm pretty sure I told this story on an older episode, but um, you guys never pay attention to me anyway, so I'll tell it again. Uh, so, uh, Law Mong, who's a very, uh, you know, old school uh, Hong Kong actor. He was in the Five Deadly Venoms. He's the Toad. Um, he's a friend of mine. Met him a number of times. Had the pleasure of having uh, lengthy conversations with him about his past film career and current film career. Uh, told me a story, which I'm pretty sure I told the story before, um, but I'll tell it again. And if I tell it a little bit differently than the first time, I don't need your comments. Uh, I'm 42. It's called Age-Related Decline on Stories. And if you like the older version of it, you can always listen to that instead. So, um, Lomong told me, uh, he's in Yip Man, he's actually in Yip Man 2 and Yip Man 3, and he also told me he's in Yip Man 4, but obviously I haven't seen it yet. Um, and he plays one of the Kung Fu masters of the town, and in Yip Man 2, he was in that scene where they're all in the restaurant and they're all kind of challenging Donnie Yen's IP man one by one. And I think he's the first or second guy to fight uh, 
first. First, maybe. And he plays a monkey kung fu guy, oddly enough, or a Tyson Pequar guy. And uh, he's kind of big, still big and brawny. And he told me when he shot that movie, and sorry to break the hearts of all you Donnie Yen fans out there, most of Donnie Yen's fighting sequences on the rooftop were actually done by a stuntman who was trained in Wing Chun. Because Donnie's very particular, and obviously he wants his Wing Chun to look as legit as possible. So, of course, they hire a stuntman who's an actual Wing Chun guy to do most of those fight scenes. So, and the funny thing is, Law Mong, who, you know, is now in his 60s, and, you know, Yip Man 2 was shot maybe nine years ago or something like that. So he's, he wasn't his spring chicken did the fight scenes himself so it's interesting he's actually older than donnie yen but he's doing his own fight scenes and donnie yen has some you know wing chun guy doing his his fight choreography for him at least for the wide shots and so while they were rehearsing this uh wing chun guy is rehearsing with lo mong they're going through the movements and he's using a little bit too much power in and it's just a rehearsal so basically they should kind of just be marking through the movements kind of trying to find their beats and this guy doesn't have that grade of control and kind of ends up slipping in a punch on Lo Mong, which in the Chinese community, it's like Lo Mong is, even though he's the bad guy in this particular scene, he's supposed to lose, but he's kind of the senior. He's the elder statesman. He's been doing movies since the 70s. So you need to respect him the way you would respect an elder Kung Fu senior, right? And so this young guy punching Lo Mong and Lo Mong got a little salty about that. And uh, it happened a second time. And Lo Mong basically told him like, hey, first of all, we're just going through the choreography you need to kind of and of course i'm i'm americanizing this lomong is a, a chinese guy from hong kong he for sure wasn't using these same exact words but i'm kind of you know saying it in my own speak you know it's like hey son you need to chill chill out and calm down with that and apparently it happens like a third time and lomong like he blocks the punch or hits the guy or slaps the guy or pushes the guy and and it's like hey i told you if you hit me again what was going to happen and then, so there was a little bit of a brouhaha that kind of happened, and then Samo Hung runs in and kind of separates them, sends the Wing Chun stuntman out, and Lo Mong is like, you know, kind of shaking his head, and uh, Samo Hung says, fucking Wing Chun people. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, for me, it's like, if, man, if I had a dime for every time I say that, and I'm a Wing Chun person, so, um, anyway, I thought that was kind of a funny story, um, you know, kind of breaking the veneer that you know Donnie Yen first of all does all of his stuff and then showing how obnoxious Wing Chun people are um, in general so um, yeah do you have any hopes for IP Man 4? Uh, no more than I have any of the other Ip Man movies uh, I expect to go and see a relatively entertaining Kung Fu movie um but by, by, by the way, like um, obviously, I live in New York, major world city. When y y a film like uh, Yip Man Four in the states probably gets some limited theatrical release, we don't have a problem with that in New York. Because if a film is showing, it's showing in New York. Here I am in Southern Florida. Am I? Are they actually going to do? I actually show that film over here, or um, do I have to wait until I get back to New York? Well, you're cl right here. We're close enough to Miami. Mm. You will probably be lucky. That's um, right. There's a good chance that uh, Miami, Orlando, and maybe Tampa, if I'm lucky, will each have showings of it. Uh huh. Um, I know when Yip Man Three came out, I was able to go up to Tampa to see it. So, any Wing Chun people in Mid Florida, Orlando, and Tampa might be our best bets. That I four corridor right there. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a good chance there's a few places. Uh, Jacksonville, it's another uh, North Florida. Will is a good chance we ah. get it. So usually the uh, for that film, um, the distributor is Wellgo USA. That's right. They do a pretty good job of hitting the big cities. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully we'll see. Hopefully. But e either way, as you know now, with uh, films, uh, if you uh, if you can't see it in the theater. It'll be on your computer screen by midnight of the same day it comes out. <laughs> it, it, it seems almost like, you, you know, there, there's no avoiding it these days. Like, the piracy is basically, you know, you can't, you can't fight it. These movies are, go are going to be, you know, they're going to be easy to get. And uh, I'd, I'd like to make a note, just like on your um, mobility for Wing Chun video series. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the plug. Oh, yes. Um... <laughs> If, if you pirate movies, you're not a cool pirate. Cool pirates had ships and cannons and went on fun adventures. You're a lame pirate. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, well, that's very meta. I don't know how many of our, our, our 
audience listeners uh, know that. So yeah, I, I came out with a book, uh, Martial Arts Movement for Wing Chun, which is basically improving mobility for uh, your Wing Chun movements. The book might as well be called Move Like Yip Man because I use Yip Man as kind of the, the model for movement. And it also comes with a video. And yeah, we have a very funny anti-piracy message at the beginning, like, you know, uh, don't don't be a lame pirate. <laughs> at least pirates said what I, I, I forget. Yeah, I think you probably know better than... than then I do what to put in there. At least, yeah, pirates had ships and eye patches and stuff, and you're, you're just a lame guy. <laughs> like, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah, so anyway, I want to get to a couple questions because um, obviously, and we always, you know, hear our fans out there. You guys write into the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and ask for topics, and, you know, we're always overwhelmed with the responses. We'll get, we'll put a post out there and get tons and tons of responses, but obviously within a podcast, to do anything justice, we usually spend like one podcast will be one or two topics tops and so you know we like one posting had like 47 comments for topics so you know we apologize if if we don't get to it it's not because we're trying to ignore you but in case you haven't noticed we we literally only talk about one topic at a time so this such is the nature of going into things as a deep dive um let me go into the first one again this is a a few weeks old already at, at this point um, Robert Wallace uh, asked uh, for Alex, all right, but obviously you're here if you want to chime in. As a restaurant worker slash Wing Chun practitioner, I've always been interested slash unclear about the purpose, comma, history, etc. of restaurant workers union at all. Uh, would love to know more about it culturally, but also Yip Man's era teaching there. Any great stories are appreciated. Heard the Leung Sung story more than a couple of times. Um, okay, uh, so that question is again from Robert Wallace. So, uh, yeah, Sibu Yip Man, when he came to Hong Kong, really didn't have any intention of teaching Wing Chun originally. He was uh, basically a refugee from China, and he came kind of late in, uh, in, in a late stage in his life where he had spent most of his life in China living comfortably. He had a very wealthy family there. His, his, his parents owned businesses, including in Hong Kong. And he had a relatively comfortable uh, lifestyle. When after the Second World War and after the uh, government change in uh, China, he kind of fled to Macau and then very shortly after that came to Hong Kong. And basically, he didn't really have any marketable skills. As you can imagine, the uh, uh, post-war, post-World War II Hong Kong was a bit depressed economically. And uh, he was kind of a you know, bit of a carefree playboy from China and now suddenly he's forced to uh, earn a living for the first time in his life and uh, stories I heard is he was even sweeping at temples and doing kind of menial labor until one of his old friends from Fatsan who also was in Hong Kong named Lee Man saw him and said hey you know what are you doing you know sweeping at Wong Tai Sin or whatever it was or you know whether that story is true or not uh, who knows um, and said, you know, you're a Wing Chun master. Why don't you teach Wing Chun? And at that time, Lee Man was the uh, president or chairman or whatever you call it of the Restaurant Workers Union. Um, in Hong Kong at that time, most of the blue collar fields had their own unions to make sure that workers' rights were protected. And uh, Restaurant Union was just a union of people who worked at various restaurants, presumably as cooks, I suppose. And uh, Lee Man was the current president of the restaurant union uh, of that. I don't know if they had multiple restaurant unions. I assume there wasn't just one. But this one was on the Kowloon side. And they had a, I guess, a clubhouse or a meeting room. And he asked, you know, Yip Man if he would teach there. And, and, and he could teach the union workers. And so that is essentially how Grandmaster Yip Man got his start teaching Wing Chun in Hong Kong. It was slightly by chance, which is why... Uh, all of us who practice Wing Chun have Lee Man to thank because if it were not for his suggestion to Yip Man to teach Wing Chun as a way to earn money, um, Grandmaster Yip Man may never have done it. Uh, there'd certainly be no Bruce Lee and the martial arts scene would... You know, it's funny because uh, a lot of MMA and modern martial arts people tend to downplay the uh, influence of traditional martial arts in Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee was a huge catalyst in terms of kind of the modernization of martial arts and kind of getting martial arts out there and he wouldn't have been able to learn that and he wouldn't have been the bruce lee that we know had it not oddly enough been for this guy lee man this one random guy so he's kind of he's kind of like the unsung hero of the martial arts world and maybe even 
MMA and the martial arts world in general would not be quite where it is now if not for this one random Chinese guy who was a friend of Yip Man in Fatsan. So uh, there were two restaurant union periods. Uh, they uh, taught Yip Man taught at the restaurant union for I think a couple years or a year, and then Lee Man was no longer a, uh, like he was no longer he got voted out or something like that. And then they had to move the school. They moved it to a couple different locations, and then later Lee Man or Leung Sung was voted back in, and then they came back, and then there was like a second restaurant union period. Uh, in, in which they taught and that second restaurant union period I believe is when people like uh, William Chung and uh, my friend Chan Chi Man and others started to learn as well so that's kind of the broad stroke um, I have extensive notes on the dates and the locations of the school um, as I I'm doing some research for my documentary but uh, you know it, I don't think it's the most interesting thing for me to just sit here and say dates and locations but that's more or less how it started and I think the second restaurant union period was also just a couple years and then you know if you look at where Grandmaster Yip Man taught in Hong Kong I mean in the 22 year teaching career he taught like maybe 16 different places because they never really had a brick and mortar school the way we think of martial arts schools today they taught at different locations and at any given period Yip Man was teaching at like three or four different places in Hong Kong so um, that's pretty much that I hope that answers your question um, your your Sivu, uh, uh, Sivu Renee, was a student of Hong Ming. Hong Ming is, a, from what I understand, a middle period student of Grandmaster Yip Man. And Hong Ming um, was, well, later taught in Macau. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he learned from Yip Man in Hong Kong, I assume. Yep. Um, now, uh, I don't know if you heard, if you have any anything interesting about that time period when Hong Ming learned from Yip Man or anything like that or um nothing too interesting um like you said he, he falls right around that middle period um I'm not sure what location he trained with him at mm -hmm. I think it was um, in Kowloon somewhere. Kowloon that yeah. sounds about right um I can't add too much to that story uh that's the thing is um outside of you know, Hokan Ming trained with him and several other of the middle period students that we know. Um, Roland Tong, for instance. Right. Um, they're all very close knit together. Um, that's really all I got to say. About yeah, that. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I, I think the the restaurant union period is is a bit romanticized within the Yip Man world because it was the first place that uh, Grandmaster Yip Man taught. And obviously the people who learned in that time period are the senior students of Grandmaster Yip Man. Most of them are passed away at this point. There's only a handful of those people left, uh, notably uh, Chan Chi Man and William Chung as well. Um, although William Chung is no longer in Hong Kong, so I think Chan Chi Man is maybe the last of the restaurant union period workers, uh, or union, restaurant union students, although uh, Chan Chi Man was not a member of the restaurant union. That's just where he learned Bing Chun. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, the, I think the first generation of every Sifu students are always a bit romanticized because they're there when the class is still small, they get a lot of individualized attention, and then, you know, there's kind of a uh, kind of romanticized idea that they get the best of what that Sifu has to offer. Um, they, uh, they tend to be the ones who help build the school's reputation yes, first. correct, correct. So. All right, we have a, another question from George Rouse. Uh, what would you say to someone that said the weapon forms are not relevant in today's modern world and should not be practiced? Uh, I'll let you handle this one first. I got my own ideas about this. Um, so I live in the South. Um, if you've never been here, um, the South can be a rowdy place sometimes. Got a gun. Got a gun. Well, I, I, I just about everybody I know carries knives on them. Right. Um... To say that weapons training and learning about weapons and how weapons are used is irrelevant to me is a completely asinine statement because so many people have a weapon on them of some sort, um, whether it's a pocket knife or a gun. Um, I know I've talked to several people in the UK where knife attacks are a pretty prevalent issue. Um, you know, here in the US we have a much larger different issue that we're grappling with still. but. I mean, understanding knives, how knives work, how people can attack you with a knife is a still, to this day, a very relevant and important thing to understand. Um, and 
I mean, I'll be honest with you, uh, Wing Chun, the contextually from a Wing Chun standpoint, look at our long pole. Miniaturize our long pole slightly and you have a nice pool cue. Right. I mean, yeah, if something gets too rowdy at a bar, nine times out of ten there's a pool table there with a pool cue. You can defend yourself pretty well with a pool cue. It might break pretty quickly, but if you have an understanding, you can defend yourself pretty well, especially if somebody pulls a knife. Um, and likewise, if you don't have the pool cue, you know, understanding how someone can attack you with a knife, how you can defend yourself, whether it's with Wing Chun or another art, is still a relative and important thing to know. It's just the nature of the societies we live in. Um, sure. They're just things that have yet to go away and as, as long as people are disagreeing with each other there's probably going to be somebody with a knife to disagree with you <laughs> right right so um well yeah i think what you said is absolutely spot on um the first thing i want to say about this question is um there usually tends to be an assumption that because like i'm a wing chun instructor you're also a wing chun instructor where people who kind of practice and love wing chun that there's this need to always convince other people like, for example, if somebody said, said that, like, oh, I don't think it makes sense to practice the weapons because it's, like, archaic or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Like, my, my, my identity is not um, invested in convincing this person that, no, you really do need to practice how to fight with two short Chinese swords and one nine-foot-long pole. Like, if, if somebody doesn't want to learn it or they're not interested in it, the last thing I'm going to do is try to, you know talk about all the virtues of practicing with uh, outdated and outmoded weapons, right? So that's the first thing is like, you know, when I get questions like this, it usually assumes that I would care to try to change someone's mind. Um, as a Wing Chun practitioner, I believe in efficiency. Everything needs to be kind of straightforward and very direct. And it's not an efficient use of my time to try to convince somebody who does not want to be convinced that they need to either practice Wing Chun or they need to either do the weapons or they need to do this or do that because if the person is not learning from me, I quite frankly don't have a lot of investment. <laughs> so I'm like, whatever, yeah, you know, and, and, and what always kind of shocks some of my students is people say like, yeah, it doesn't mean I don't practice the weapons because that's stuff, you know, you don't need anymore. And I'll go like, yeah, you're right. And I'll just agree with them like superficially in the conversation because I'm not in the mood to kind of talk about it. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean like I, I I'm um I like to nod and smile a lot when people talk and I'll be like mm-hmm right yep yep you're totally right and um, but having said that uh, it, it it's kind of I think a misconception that okay the martial art weapons are outdated so therefore we don't need it for modern self-defense but truthfully if you really want to talk about self-defense like Self-defense is not even a martial arts topic. Self-defense is about awareness. Self-defense is understanding what your options are. Self-defense is about, most of the time, staying out of situations and avoiding them before they become things. And it's not so much about fist fighting, because truthfully, uh, if, whether you practice jujitsu or MMA or karate or Wing Chun, an assault situation is nothing at all like any of the training of any of those arts. Uh, a, an assault on the street does not look like a jiu-jitsu match. An assault on the street does not look like an MMA fight. An assault on the street does not look like a cell match. So the thing is that um, you can specialize in self-defense, you can practice self-defense, and that's almost independent of what martial art you practice. It's like you can do your martial art and do self-defense, you want know to say? Yeah, I... Um we were talking about it earlier when I, I had a friend of mine ask about, well, can I fight? And yes, he, he said, I see a lot of Wing Chun people get beat up on videos. And I said, yeah, that's, that's a reality of it. And he asked, can you fight? And I said, well, I can defend myself. But let me explain to you why self-defense and fighting are two different animals. Right. Two different types of training, two completely different scenarios. Um, and it's very important that we as martial artists, um, you as an instructor, me as somebody who is just a very prolific presenter of martial arts, uh, let people know and be upfront and honest about things like that. Right. Because we do no service to anybody who we m may mislead in that sense. Yes, it's exactly. Right. Um, no, I think you're totally right. And, and so, so if, if you want to think about self-defense in the modern day, 
all right like if you just think like what do i need for self-defense all right well one you need awareness like obviously if you're spending a lot of time hanging out in bars and clubs where there's alcohol involved there's a higher chance something might happen so you have to ask yourself well are you willing to expose yourself to that or not so a big part of avoiding what we call social violence because there, there are two types of violence you have social violence and you have predatory violence predatory violence for lack of a better explanation is the dude waiting behind the car who just wants to mug you and social violence is the guy at the bar who's a little drunk and gets into pushing and shoving right so most social violence can be avoided uh, predatory violence it's usually not up to you someone has singled you out as the, their prey and they're going to try to get a jump on you so in those situations you know the smartest thing is awareness having a good security system having cameras you know parking in well-lit spaces uh, not going to places where those kind of things are highly likely and that is probably the most practical self-defense you can do um and if you want to start talking about weapons well you need to be highly trained in a weapon because the if someone carries a gun there's you know there are people who learn how to shoot but that doesn't mean you can draw a gun in time under pressure and actually use it tactically in a situation where um it might be warranted because of all the people who have guns out there we have still yet to have that many cases of there being a mass shooting and some random armed citizen with the training came and put that person down themselves all right and, and so you know the fact that someone has a gun is no guarantee the fact that someone has a knife is no guarantee so when we look at it, martial arts, whether you're doing jiu-jitsu, Krav Maga, MMA, Wing Chun, Karate, these are really just hobbies that we like to do. We justify them after the fact. We usually join something because it's an emotional thing. You like the feel of Kung Fu. You like the feel of jiu-jitsu. You like the feel of boxing. And people will normally join those things because there's something about it they like. And then they'll justify it after the fact with things that sound better. Well, I do boxing because uh, it helps me lose weight, or I do uh, jujitsu because I, you know, I want to learn how to defend myself on the ground. Where it's like a lot of times people really just want to do because they just think it's cool, and there's nothing wrong with saying you like Wing Chun because you think it's cool, or you like karate because you think it's cool, or jujitsu because you think it's cool. This idea is that we always have to kind of like, uh, kind of post hoc say like uh, I'm doing it because insert lofty reason that sounds better than you just like it because it's cool. So. To come full circle to the weapons, um, you can learn Wing Chun without learning the weapons. Uh, that's fine. And if somebody wants to learn Wing Chun without learning the weapons, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to convince them they have to. But anything you learn, uh, as not to sound too much like Bruce Lee, but like ultimately all knowledge becomes self-knowledge. And so when you learn the, the pole, you're going to learn some things about... Uh, transferring power because now instead of just transferring the power out of your arm you have to transfer it out of a nine or ten foot long weapon so that learning that power transfer through the pole is also going to improve your fist fighting your stance your strength all this stuff is going to improve by training the long pole your idea of angles and protection and staying behind your weapon the way you want to stay behind your hand relative to your opponent are ideas that you can easily transfer to your fist fighting even though it might look a little different when you apply it with the weapon so what you learn from the long pole enhances your abilities in the fist fighting it enhances your strength your stamina and it also just gives you a different take about fighting so you're you're only strengthened by having learned long pole there's no detriment to it there's only benefit the same thing with the knives so you can learn wing chun without this knowledge but I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> so yeah so uh and like i famously always say that's all i'm gonna say about that and i think we have time for maybe one more question the last one uh we're gonna answer today is from nina bach uh she asked what do you think about wing chun kicks are they useful at all how would a typical wing chun artist fare against a typical taekwondo opponent well i'll let you handle this one first tofer okay. um i think the wing chun kicks are very useful um, if you learn to do them correctly. Uh, the big thing about the kicking in Wing Chun is first learning something, uh, learning the chi grip that goes with the Wing Chun system, and that comes from also learning the leg work. Because um, believe it or not, Wing Chun has footwork and has very good footwork. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief. Contrary to popular belief. There is a good amount of footwork uh, that goes into Wing Chun practice. Um, 
both individually with a partner and on the dummy. And as you know, the dummy is where a lot of the kicking comes into play. Uh, the chum Q form has some of the kicking, but most of the kicking we learn and how to transfer power properly into an object comes from the wooden dummy form. Um, it is, it's kicking in a different way. Um, I actually uh, was a previous Taekwondo practitioner many, many years ago. Um, I'm familiar with multiple kinds of kicking. Uh, some of my best friends are actually karate practitioners and they have really phenomenal kicks. Wing Chun kicking is kind of a different way of kicking, in some ways a different way of thinking about kicking. And it's very useful, it has its purpose. Uh, it's utility, but that's any martial art in a nutshell. I mean, they're designed the way they are because they required a specific type of utility. So to be able to execute that utility, you first have to understand that utility. And for us, the wooden dummy is probably the starting point of really understanding how we would use kicks. Are we kicking like a Taekwondo person for power, or are we kicking to stop kick or block? So let's let's utilize that utility first. Right. Uh, yeah, that that's uh, that's really great. I think. Um, yeah, let me on because it's kind of like a two part or three part question. So let me unpack it a little bit. Um, so first of all, what do you think about Wing Chun kicks? Well, I'm a Wing Chun Sifu, so I think they're all right. <laughs> I think they're pretty good. I wouldn't be doing Wing Chun if I thought that the kicks were no good. Um, but I, 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 so it's kind of a strange question to ask someone who's a Wing Chun Sifu, what do you think about the Wing Chun kicks? Be like, what do you think about the Wing Chun punches? Oh, they suck. What do you think about the Wing Chun kicks? Oh, they suck. But somehow I teach Wing Chun. Well, of course I think they're good. Um, but what I feel comes in this kind of deeper in this question is uh, the caveat is, but most Wing Chun people suck at kicks. And uh, they don't practice them, including admittedly some of Grandmaster Yip Man's students. Um, Tsifu Chan Chi Man told me that Yip Man was really good with kicks, really practiced his kicks a lot, and, and explained a lot about the kicking theory, while also admitting that he himself was not the best at kicking. And so it's like not every one of Yip Man's students focused on kicking or has the kicking skill. Kicking has one disadvantage. It's very strenuous to practice because you have to stand on one leg and it's a lot of, it's very energy consuming. So people obviously don't always put as much practice into the kicks when they can easily step in and punch and do, you can do 20 hand techniques for the um, effort of one kick seemingly. So um, it's understandable, but I think the fact that most Wing Chun people don't have good kicks, it's, it's more of an issue of they either weren't exposed to it uh, they didn't practice them well or a combination of those two factors. But I think Wing Chun kicking itself is extremely intelligent, extremely practical, and extremely utilitarian in its application. As a matter of fact, nowadays you're starting to see more efficient uses of Wing Chun type kicks in MMA. John Jones famously with the lead, uh, lead leg kicks to the knee, either the side kick or the more straight kick. And uh, you're seeing more and more just kind of straight you know, flat-footed kicks to the body done in things like MMA, and, and people can see how effective. They're one of the most effective Wing Chun kicks, in my opinion. I think it was Junior Dos Santos fought, uh, I think it was Ben Rothwell. These are heavyweights. Um, the fight's already a couple years old. It could have been a different opponent. I'm pretty sure it was Ben Rothwell. And Junior Dos Santos basically gives Ben Rothwell a front thrust kick right to the chest or to the stomach and sends him all the way across the cage. And I was like, yep, because a Wing Chun kick is not a snapping or not a, a um, kind of whipping kick. It's it's a thrusting kick that penetrates and also because of the angle of the leg, it's suitable for stopping someone who's rushing you. Whereas round kicks are more for attrition, wearing somebody down over time, but a straight kick right down the middle with, with your heel or the bottom of your foot is also the kind of kick that has some stopping power against someone who's kind of coming at you. and. In that utility, it's 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 very effective. But again, not everyone can do it. So the second part of the question, are they useful at all? Absolutely. It's just admittedly not all of Grandmaster Yip Man's students knew it or taught it, and not all of their students know it or teach it or practice it. So um, because it's not as standardized as, say, arts like uh, karate or taekwondo, um, there's a bit of ambiguity, and whether you learn good kicking or not really depends on what school of Wing Chun you come from. And finally, how would a typical Wing Chun artist fare against a typical Taekwondo opponent? Um, oddly enough, Taekwondo, known mostly for its kicks, for me, this is not a kicking question at all. 
because if I know that my opponent is really good at kicks, the last thing I'm going to do is try to outkick someone who's a specialist in kicks. There's a maxim, and this is not a Wing Chun maxim, this is a maxim in martial arts, which is never box a boxer and never wrestle a wrestler. Well, you could add a third one, which is never kick a kicker. All right. So, you know, while, of course, in self-defense, somebody just attacks you and you just have to respond. You're, you don't know what style this attacker is. Maybe they have no martial art. But if you know that this person is a good kicker, probably a good idea not to get in a kicking battle with them. If you know this person is a good puncher, probably not a good idea to get in a trade like a slugfest with this person. Right. So um, one thing that kickers need, especially Taekwondo kickers need is space. And what do most Wing Chun people do wrongly? They give a kicker space because they're afraid to close the gap. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're afraid to close the gap against a good kicker, that kicker is going to light you up like a Christmas tree because you're standing in front of them like a punching bag. The moment you step in and close the gap, even if you take a little bit of a kick on the way in, once you close the gap, you've basically nullified 99% of the arsenal of most classically trained Taekwondo people. So why would you not want to fight extremely close to a Taekwondo practitioner that has very little hand techniques in a place where you feel comfortable as the Wing Chun person and they feel uncomfortable as a Taekwondo person. So fighting a Taekwondo practitioner for me is not a kicking question. It's a matter of has your Sifu taught you how to effectively close the gap against someone who's a good kicker and put them in a position where they're very uncomfortable? I'd like to I mean, as a Wing Chun practitioner and as those of us who are Wing Chun practitioners listening to the podcast, remember, we're the short bridge. Um, like Alex has stated, you know, get in. Let's. If you're a beginner, I can understand the scariness of a kick. It's it's a leg. It's a lot of power coming at you. But get in. Get that short bridge. Get that. Seek that bridge. Get in there. That's right. Seek that bridge. Another plug for my book in there. Uh, yeah. So um, again, it depends uh, on the different schools. Some schools are very traditional. And they teach Wing Chun in a very kind of traditional template. You know, you start with the Sunum Tao, you're punching your steps, and then you learn Chumkyu, maybe double arm Chi Sao, things like that. And then with those foundational skills, then sometimes the fighting skills are then taught a little bit later. There are some Sifus, they like to kind of have that very classical foundation of the forms and the footwork and the punches and the steps and everything, and some Chi Sao before they teach your students essentially, quote unquote, how to fight. And then there are other schools that teach, though this is kind of my philosophy, um, they kind of teach the fighting skills parallel to learning the foundational skills, right? And there's disadvantages to both styles, um, but in my opinion, I'm a professional martial arts instructor, I can't tell students, well, you need to wait, you need to do a year of foundational training <laughs> before I'm gonna teach you how to stop a punch or stop a kick, so we, we do it kind of alongside. And one of the first things we teach our students is, how to close the gap against someone who's trying to give you a kick or a round punch or any of these kind of things. So a big part of it is acclimation. If you have not practiced against someone who's giving you these kicks and you haven't used the tactic, um, then and you haven't done in any kind of sparring, whether it's even light or full sparring, you're not gonna have a chance. And so the disease I feel is very common in Wing Chun schools is if you go to most Wing Chun schools, both here in the Western world and also in Hong Kong, you'd find that most of the training they do is just Chi Sao. You, you look around and you see it's like, it's as if Wing Chun is an art that prepares you to do Chi Sao with other Wing Chun people and nothing else. And Wing Chun has a lot of efficient, a lot of very intelligent ways of dealing with non-Wing Chun arts because here's the catch kicker folks, Wing Chun was originally designed to fight against other styles of Kung Fu. It was not a style designed to do Chi Sao only with other people who also do Chi Sao. But unfortunately, this is kind of what has happened in the modern Wing Chun world. It's gone back a little bit. So most of the sparring we teach is your partner is going to be a non-Wing Chun guy and you're a Wing Chun guy. So we'll do exercises where, okay, the non-Wing Chun person is going to come at you with low kicks, high kicks, spin kicks, straight punch, spin punches, all this stuff. And as a Wing Chun practitioner, you have to use your Wing Chun to fight against that. And not just two Wing Chun people standing, facing each other in Jong Sao, trying to outpack and lop each other until the cows come home. So, um, you know, I guess my final part of this question here is, well, Wing Chun is very effective against these styles. It's just a matter of, does the particular school of Wing Chun you practice at teach you how to use it? And that is more um, the answer than, you know, like I always say, people like to blame Wing Chun, but she's dead, don't blame her. Blame your Sifu if you don't know something. <laughs> so, anything else to add to that? 
I got nothing else to add to that. All right. Well, hey, this was a lot of fun. Um, it was cool to do something a little bit different for a change, and it was also great to not have to stare at Sean's damn face for the whole hour while I'm doing the podcast. Really great to finally meet you, Topher, and uh, to have the chance to uh, do a podcast with one of our big fans and uh, hope you guys uh, are, um, are are also satisfied. And again, um, if you haven't done so already, please like our Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. We're also on Twitter and uh, we're also on Instagram. Follow us on those uh, platforms to keep up to date with everything. And again, like I said at the top of the podcast, uh, if you guys have input about where uh, we should do our live podcast, and of course, not in Pennsylvania, it's got to be the New York area. Sorry, folks. Uh, go ahead and comment on that post on our Facebook page. Um, as well, if you guys are interested in my winter intensive training camp, go to wt-athletics.com. Again, that's wt-athletics.com. You can uh, get information about the winter ITC there, as well as get some of the final copies of the Seek the Bridge book. And uh, besides that, we will see you guys soon. All right, take care, Topher. All right, thank you, Alex. Have a great day.